Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota, we bring you exciting real life property, business, and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the J2 Hub podcast. Uh, this week, I'm joined by a, a chap who's quite well known in the essay industry. And um, I wanted to kind of uh, delve in a little bit deeper and speak to him, not only about his personal journey, about where how he's gone through through his kind of progression and where he is today, but I wanted to focus in and speak to him more so about how COVID and how this whole lockdown has affected the whole essay industry. Now, it's no it's no joke, you know, where the government came along and put lockdown into place. I think one of the one of the industries to be hit so hard was the essay industry and, you know, leisure and tourism in general. So I thought this would be a great guy to get on because he runs an essay business with a number of apartments and wanted to get his opinion on how things are going. So, uh, Tali Sanga, welcome to the J2 Hub podcast. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate it. No worries at all, man. Thank you once again for joining us. So, Tally, I know who you are because I've spoken to you a few times before. I know what you do, uh, but sometimes we have new listeners on the podcast that may not know who you are. So give me a little bit of intro about you, man. Let me know who you are, what you do, what, what you're about. What's your journey been, man? Um, do you know what, James? Me, I'm just, a, I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm nothing really too fancy. I'm just a normal straight guy. Just like to have a laugh. Um, and, you know, a year ago, I started to get involved. Well, over a year ago, I started to get involved in property. Um, I saw it as a means to an end, really, more than anything. Like thinking, okay, you know, I've always wanted to have my own business. So I've always wanted to, I've always lived that entrepreneur lifestyle, even though earlier on in my years, I was always in a job. But there was, a, there was always a part of me where I wanted to just work for myself. <clears throat> so obviously, property came along. <clears throat> and you know it's like when we grow up we're, we're typically brought into that uh, mindset of oh you've got to save 20 10 percent deposit do this do that <laughs> um and then it just kind of I went on a couple of property courses um i won't name them um <laughs> they're, they're, they're not the best because they just skim over everything um but then i just started to learn it and everything and just go from there and a year later i'm i'm here now basically like 16, 16 apartments I think I've got um, which are a combination of my, my own and managed um, and yeah so we're just just riding this wave now to end the year, uh, up to the end of the year when I'm going to hit my target of 24 Wow are you, are you on track? Are you on track for your 24 target? I'm close to being on track um, okay. 16 at the moment um, I've got leads of someone who wants to give me another two um, okay. And I spoke to a lady today who's got a brand new three, possibly four bedroom house that she wants me to manage. She looked at managing, she looked at my management about four months ago, I think it was, um, mm-hmm. for an apartment. And she was telling me that she's building a house as well. And she's just meant, she literally just messaged me last night saying, look, I've got the house. Do you want to manage it? And I'm like, okay, let's, let's have a look. So go down on the weekend, have a look at that. And then that will be the first house that I've got in my portfolio. Oh, fantastic. So, so far you've got mostly apartments then? Pretty much, yeah. They're all a mixture of like one beds and two beds, all mm-hmm. dotted around. I mean, I don't know if you know Birmingham very well, but it's not it's not a huge city, so you can walk from one end of the city to the other end really uh, fairly quickly. 
Um, but they're all pretty much dotted around in certain key areas of the city centre. So it's great for tourism, still great for the contractors and of course mm-hmm. clients as well, which is the ones that I primarily aim for. Right, right, yeah. So Tally, tell me about yourself in terms of uh, growing up as a young lad, man. Take us through the journey from, say, when you were in high school and how things progressed. And did you always have an entrepreneurial flair or were you a bit like me, a bit of a troublemaker, expelled from school and in trouble with the police? So it'd be be really nice to hear your background story because I feel um, a lot of people come on the podcast and they're not they don't tell us where they've come from. And I've, I always find that's useful, especially for some of the younger guys and you guys that are coming up behind us in the sense that if they are a troublemaker, if they've not had the best start in life, it doesn't have to always remain like that. Things can always get better. You can always improve and you can always sort yourself out. So hit me with it, man. Tell me how good you were as a child. <laughs> um, okay, look, I my mum and dad, are, um, they brought me up to respect a lot of people. Um, I've been brought up with a lot of respect and and I've, I tried to do well throughout school. Was I a troublemaker? Yeah, massively. Uh, <laughs> into, I got into all sorts of um, fights and everything. Like for me, it was like, it was either, hit, it, it, was either it was a situation of either I'm going to hit you first or you're going to hit me. So either way, one of us are going to get hit. Um, and that was kind of like how I grew up in like high school and stuff. Like it was always a fight at the end of the day. And the smallest little thing would trigger me off. Um, I wouldn't go out looking for fights. It would just it would be one of those situations, you know, that old chestnut where, you know, the fight always comes to you. It's, it was always yeah. like that. So even going, uh, even like when you turn 18, 19, 20, and you're out in the clubs and stuff like that, and, you know, you, you tend to you tend to just finish up your night. I can almost guarantee you nine times out of ten, it ended up in a fight. Um, it, I look back at it now and I laugh and I think, wow, I, sh- I really shouldn't have done that. But in hindsight, it, it makes you stronger as a person. Um, Entrepreneur-wise, I wouldn't say I was an entrepreneur when I was in high school. I always had this thing in the back of my head where I want to work for myself. Um, I was going to start a business when I was 16, uh, but I'm glad that I never, because with market changes and stuff like that, the business that I was going to go into would have literally just collapsed within the first year. Uh, mm-hmm was like it was on the realms of like do you know like car audio speakers and amplifiers and stuff like that yeah yeah yeah. in that realm because that's i i used to do that a lot of that i used to kit all the cars out and do all that kind of stuff so i was i was going to start a shop with a friend of mine um our biggest competition was bass junkies which was literally around the corner and then Mm -hmm. of course you get hit with the internet so I'm glad. I'm glad that I never went down that route because I, never- I, I remember. Sorry, Telly. I remember that industry being because obviously I, I was born in the '80s. I remember in the late '80s and '90s that was a booming industry. You know, you went down any high street and you'd find two or three shops, and people were upgrading their audios. But I think the the the, the manufacturers got quite clever because they started developing the cars with quite nice audio systems where people were like, "Do you know what? I don't need to upgrade this anymore." Yeah. You know- uh, Hundred percent right on that aspect, but I think even today um, that industry is still very large. It's not as large as it was in the eighties, uh, but it's mm-hmm. still very, very big today because people always like a change. So no matter how good your car audio system is, I mean, let's face it, most typical cars that we have are you know Fords, um, Volkswagens, you know the typical run of the mill cars where the speakers are nice, the sound system's okay but everybody wants something different. So when you're an 18 year old kid, you want a subwoofer in your car, you want loudspeakers, you you basically want to be heard all the way down the road. Uh, <laughs> when you've got something like, I don't know, like a 
a Mercedes or something like that with a four and a half grand sound system, you you don't need you don't need to touch it. Just leave it. That's it. Uh, but not everybody's gonna be able to buy a, a you know Mercedes with a four and a half grand sound system. I certainly can't, and I'm not looking to spend four and a half grand on the sound system. Um, so yeah, that the, the industry is still there. It's just not as good. It's not as popular as it used to be because a lot of the stuff you can buy offline and you can't compete. Online people can't compete. Uh, sorry, high street people can't compete with online prices because their the overheads are lower. They've got very very little staffing costs, um, packing materials, and all that kind of stuff. So it's and, and you know as time goes on, the margins and margins just get thinner and thinner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was uh, that was one of the things that I was looking at doing when I was like sixteen, seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, Prior to that, I spoke to, I remember when I met up with Tedge, and I know you and Tedge get on really, really well. This is when I first started, and Tedge was grilling me about things that I used to do when I was um, growing up. Um, and I remember talking to him about, you know, like when you're 11, like, you know, 10 years old and you get your paper and then it's your first bit of independence. Yeah, and yeah. You're, I know. Man, you're literally the man of the house now because you've got a job. <laughs> That's how I felt. I thought, yeah, I'm a man of the house. I, I, I own my own way now. <laughs> walking away with £10 a week <laughs> um, yeah. I, my cousin, I was a little bit too young to do paper rounds so I sort of like worked with my cousin and I quickly adapted to think that hang on a minute there's like three or four rounds here uh, and I said between us two we can do the rounds in you know just as much time between us so we'll just split it and we get more money for it if we do all the rounds so we literally just said to the shop we'll take all the rounds and I think back then it was about four rounds or five rounds or something like that um, don't quote me on the numbers because I really can't remember that that far ago, but it was a, it was a reasonable amount, let's say 50, 60 quid a week or something like that to do all those rounds, including the Sunday round as well because um, you always got paid more for Sunday papers. And we split the money 50-50. So rather than me having like, say, seven or eight quid a week for one round, I was getting nearly like 20, 25-ish or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. He then got a little bit older and that's... Obviously, I got older then. I started to take the rounds on myself. But back when, when I started to take them on, there was about, um, there was about literally about four, four rounds more, I think it was, or something like that, four or five rounds more. I can't remember exactly what the numbers were. And you think to yourself, well, I'm not going to do, you know, 10 rounds of paper on myself. So I just hired two little kids to do the rounds for me. And I paid them away. So I gave them both 15, 20 quid each or something like that. And I sat at home playing on the PlayStation and I walked away with nearly like 60, 70 quid a week. They walked away with yeah. their 15, 20. They're happy. I'm happy. I'm super happy because I've got nothing, I've got jack-jack to do. Uh, yeah. And I still get paid. Um, that was my first ever entrepreneurial um, adventure. Um, after that, it was just like hustling, really, just like working in my, um, in my uncle's shop um getting some extra check getting some extra money there i started i started thinking of ways where i don't have to do any work but i still get paid for it so it's little things like um within two weeks i noticed that kids used to come to the shop and they used to try to buy all the sweets and they couldn't afford them so i knew i can get the sweets at a discounted price i used to buy five pounds worth of sweets which only cost me about two or three quid and I used to get them to bring all the cash and carry in. I gave them five pounds worth of sweets, which only cost me two quid, two, three quid. And they do all the work for me. And I used to pay them with sweets and stuff like that that they couldn't necessarily afford. Yeah. Um, and it triggered from there. And I always loved like thinking of creative ways to 
make money where I don't actually have to do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm super lazy. I'm, I'm properly lazy. <laughs> when it comes to stuff like that, I, I, I just don't want to lift a finger um, yeah, yeah. In, the, in, in the best possible way. Uh, and that's it, really. And then after that, it just came part-time job at Halfords where I started to learn how to uh, really use my hands. That's when I started getting involved in like repairing bikes, fitting car audio. That's where I learned all my mechanical skills because I started messing around with cars a lot. Um, and then since the journey of like when I first ever got my license up until I'd say 25, when literally all I used to do was just spend money on cars. I didn't have this concept of saving money or anything like that. My paycheck just went on my car. My paycheck just went on my car. My paycheck went on my car and me having a good time. Mm -hmm. It never went into the savings account uh, up until I'd probably say about 23. That's when I started really thinking, shit, maybe I need to buckle down and actually think about my life rather than just spending my money on a car, which Mm. in in the net results, not really going to do anything. And that's obviously when I started saving money. And then I lost a lot of money. Um, a massive amount of money in a very, very short space of time. Uh, and that's when, I think at that point then, and that's when I had a kick up my ass because I realised that it's taken me four years to save all this money and I've literally just lost it like that. Do, do you, Tally, do you mind sharing with the listeners what that was? Yeah, so I don't know, like, it still goes on now. Um, mm-hmm. It still very much goes on now. But obviously, me being me, I'm a lot more savvier than what I used to be before. <clears throat> Um, but, you know, like online trading and Forex and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I got involved with someone who said, oh, they can manage. Because I've always loved doing trading. And I, I used to dabble a little bit into it, but never knew it fully. So mm-hmm. this guy approached me and he says, oh, I can do the trading for you. He says, you pay this much and then I'll trade it on your behalf. Um, and it basically came into, I paid him a little bit of money. He traded it and he says, okay, right, this is how much we've got. Um, but we need we need to do this, and I'm like, okay, then fine. Me me being me, I'm not realizing because I'm having a verbal conversation with the guy on the phone as well. It's not like it's a text message type of thing. It's very personal. So he mm. used to call me, and then it ended up being where like within I think it was like within 24 hours, um, I think I probably lost about 12 and a half grand just because because wow. he kept saying to me, oh, you need to if you send me this much money, I can I can get your money quicker. I can get your money quicker. And the thing that really stubbed me was is that he was using all these like keywords and stuff like that. And I, I'm I was quite smart when it comes to stuff. So I was always Googling it and saying, okay, what does what is this? What's FCA? What's this and what's this regulation and all this? And it was all it was all making sense, like it was all legitimate stuff. But me being me, I didn't know what anything was going on. And I was just sending this guy bank transfers. And then when I spoke to my bank about it, they basically said, Now what's happened is is um you've He's, you've transferred money into various different accounts. And what he's done is he's transferred them into probably three or four different accounts after that, which means it's it's almost impossible for us to trace that money back. So you may as well just say goodbye to it. That really affected me, um, like massively. I remember I was I was at work one day and I was I didn't I thought, oh, I'm at work the next day and it's 60 miles to go back home. And I thought I decided I'll just stop in a hotel. I could barely even pay for a hotel room um, because literally I had zero in my bank account. So because he wiped everything out and then coming back home, it took me about, I think four or five days to tell my mom and dad. Wow. Um, and then I kind of, I remember we was building, we was getting some stuff in from the house and I sat down with my dad. So I got something to tell you. And he said, what's that? And I said, um, I've lost everything. And he says, what do you mean you've lost everything? And I said, I've just lost like, you know, 12 and a half, 13 grand. 
And the, the, the look in his face was not disappointment, but hurt as well. Like thinking, I brought you up to be not like, you know, to understand how things work and stuff. And you being you, you've just got conned, basically. Mm. My mom just looked at me and she just, she she, she gave me those the mom eyes, like, <laughs> really? Really? Yeah. Um, and I said, don't worry, I'll sort it. I, you know, I, I'm, it's me, I'll figure it out. So, and, and that's what happened. I figured it out. I got my last little bit of money that I had, um, invested it in myself, went on to a property training course, which, like I said, it really wasn't all that. Um, but that's when I started to learn more about the whole thing and really just trying to push forward. And I think my mindset changed. I started focusing more on, um, um, you know, like being able to do stuff and reading a lot of books, well, listening to books because I hate reading um, and just really focusing on what I want in life. And, you know, like the whole chestnuts where you got your vision boards and all that kind of stuff. I've done all that. Um, I don't do it as much now religiously. I don't wake up every single morning and read my vision board because I don't really need to. Um, mm. or I don't see the purpose of it. I just now every day I wake up and I just feel more better. I feel happier. I feel more um, confident. And I think because of course the business is growing, it's now I'm look, now I look back and I'm like, okay, wow. Now I've, I won't say I made it, but I'm on the verge of making it. So after all that crap that I went through, um, I'm now at a position now where I'm a lot stronger than what I was before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a that's a really nice story tally thank you for sharing that i i you know i myself have lost six figure sums uh and i'm quite open about it i regularly talk about it because i feel people need to hear the failures because i think in our industry you see all the nice shiny stuff you see the nice shiny cars you see all the you see all the good and the positive stuff and no one really talks about you know how how having a massive loss can a mentally affect someone and how it can really kind of mess with your headspace mentally physically it can change you as a person so uh you know hats off for sharing that i think i think it's nice because uh, uh no doubt there will be people listening who have lost money to forex traders because it's uh you know it's one of those things where they paint such a lovely instagram picture for everybody to see and everyone thinks you know who doesn't want to better themselves you know who doesn't want an extra bit of money so i think it's one of those uh one of those industries that really needs to be tightened up a bit so no thank you very yeah, much for sharing that absolutely i mean regulation is one of those it's a it's such a highly um unregulated industry that you know and as just as you said you know you've got the the whole instagram life which is i always have a laugh and a joke about it to various different people but it's like hashtag instagram life and that's just me yeah. I'm a joker like that um but you do see you get all this glamorous stuff where you got the cars you got the money and you kind of think oh i want that it can't be that difficult, um, but it really is. <laughs> mm. No, no, that's good. Um, Tally, something you said earlier on where you said, um, you know, uh, where you were taking on the paper round, so you've taken somebody else's product mm-hmm. and you're making money off that product yourself. It's kind of it's kind of strange because I guess that's what you do partly in SA. You kind of, right. you've taken somebody's product and you're making money off of it. Now, what I'm seeing is, speaking to you, there seems to have been a pattern from quite early on as a child that you've realized, hold on a second, I can take what somebody else has, leverage that to create money for myself, even with the whole cash and carry thing that you are explaining where you were paying someone with sweets to do a job and you're making money on it. So do you think that what you did early on has kind of nicely led you into where you are now? Um, I think it's helped. It's aided in it. I wouldn't say it's... Um, 
it's kind of like pushed me in that direction or anything. But I, I think at an earlier age, because I've always been that kind of a guy where I will always do bits and bobs for everyone. Like even working out, I, I shouldn't, let's just make sure no one works from Halfords and listen to this podcast. But even when, when it came to stuff like Halfords, where people used to come in, they wanted an audio system, they would say, oh, do you do private jobs? And at first I never used to do them. Um, but then after I said, well, why, is, why, why am I going to line Halfords pocket when I can line my own? So it was always a case where I used to just, it's, it's naughty, but everybody did it. Um, where I used to do like back-end jobs where, you know, I could, I could get three or four clients on a weekend and fit all, spend literally a Saturday installing their stuff. I walk away with 150, 200 quid just for, a, just for literally eight hours of work, nine hours of work, which was way more than what I was getting at a, you know, a part-time basis. Um, I would say that it, it's, it, wouldn't, it didn't help me, but it definitely guided me in understanding how things work. Like I don't have to do everything myself, but when I started my essay journey, which we'll get into a little bit later, everything that I learned from the paper rounds and the, um, the cash and carry and Halford's days, all that was completely out of the window. I, I had to go back down to the drawing board and back to basics again. So I didn't, I wasn't in a position where I can leverage my time for other people and, I had to literally grind and do everything myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So how, why, tell me, Tally, why was it essay for you? Why did you, when you started off in property, what was it that attracted you to an essay and how did you fall into the whole, or how did you get started in the essay arena? Um, by accident. <laughs> literally by accident. So I went on a training course and my training course was, it was rent to rent, but it was rent to rent HMO. Um, so primarily I was geared up to do HMO. So I knew all the systems on a HMO. I knew how to get the tenants and I knew how to do everything like that. Um, and then when you're fresh off a course, you're like, you know, your chest is out, you're, you, 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 feel living, you feel large So you go, you go straight to the agents and then you start lending, writing letters out to landlords and, and you, you feel so confident that in, in the next two months, you're going to get three or four HMOs. Um, and that didn't happen. I, you know, it was like, two months of sending out about 500 letters to landlords, visiting 30 agents, and I got literally no's for every single one of them. Um, and then I, I kind of like, I remember talking to um, a good friend of mine, like a really good friend, almost, he's not a mentor, but I see him as a mentor because every time I'm stuck or I need guidance, he's always there to help me or, or vice versa when he's stuck on something or we help each other. So we're just really good friends. But um, I, I reached out to Aaron, and he was like, just do this and do this. And he says, what's happening is, is that you're going in and you're, you're doubting yourself before you've even walked in. So mm-hmm. I, I found this little trick where literally I used to record the conversation between me and the agent on my, on my phone, like on a voice note. And then when I, went, when I went back into the car, I would listen to it and try to find out where I've gone wrong, where I've stumbled, where I've made a mistake. And after doing that for about four or five attempts and visiting four or five different agents, I nailed my speech. I wouldn't say I nailed my speech down, but I knew what I had to say. And I realized that less is more. I was going in at first and giving them everything that they needed to know, but I was giving them way too much information and they were getting overwhelmed and they'll just say, no, it's like, no. Then I walked in and I said, and I adapted my speech. I changed the way that I lived, did everything. And that's when they said, okay, now, now I see. Because then as soon as you get the agent that does this and they're telling you like, okay, now I've got you. Because now they're relaxed. Right. And right. then I realized, okay, now I know what you're doing. Now I know what I'm doing. Um, and then from that day, we got two apartments. Um, and that's when the journey started. Because 
it wasn't a HMO. The guy said, oh, I've got two apartments. Um, if you want these apartments instead. And I thought, oh, apartments. Okay, essay. I can do that. It can't be that difficult. And then I just said, yeah, right, cool. Let's just do it. So we just did that instead. And then wow. because I didn't know essay, I had a management agent that would do it for me so I can learn it in the background. I knew bits of it. Okay. Um, but I've always stayed in service accommodation. So ever, ever since, like, whenever I went away, if I went to like a weekend away or something like that, I'd always stay in an apartment. So I, I wouldn't stay in a hotel, I'd stay in a, um, an essay. So I knew elements of it. I knew the, um, the, the way that the whole thing worked. Like you get keys from somewhere, you live there for a couple of days. And then it's like a hotel, but except you got more space. And then it was just, but it was the background stuff that I didn't know, like the systems, the channel managers, the pricing stuff. Literally everything else that you no one will ever tell you about, all they ever show you is the you know the Airbnb side of it or the Booking.com side of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I had a management agent who basically tried to do everything for me, and that failed miserably. <laughs> so tell you when you got the two apartments, you were originally going in to get HMOs, were you? But this guy yeah. gave you two apartments. Yeah. Okay. So you walk out of this place, you've done, you, I'm presuming you've done the deal on these two apartments. Um, I didn't do the deal deal because I had to go through the numbers and un- understand it a little bit. So it was still a little bit of a case of, um, okay, let's just see if this is viable. Spoke to Aaron. Aaron said, yeah, let's, let's go for it. He says, do you know it? And I said, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went, but I can figure it out. And he says, okay, what's the numbers look like? So we got a calculator uh, we went, glimpsed over the numbers, looked at the comparables on like Airbnb and booking.com, looked at the markets, looked, the location's great. I think it will work. Let's just try it. Um, originally it was going to be, um, he has one and I have the other, but because my, the one was a one bedroom and the other one was a two bedroom. Um, I'm kind of glad Aaron said this because it's, it just goes to show that, you know, like your, your, your closest friends are always like uh, the people that you look up to in that sense as well. So he said, nah, forget that. He says, let's just do them both together because if the two bedroom works and the one bedroom doesn't, I'd, I'm going to feel really bad that you've put all the money into, or you put your money into something that just hasn't worked. So he said, let's, mm. let's we'll, we'll go into it together. So we went into, uh, we went in it together basically. And that's how that stemmed off. And how, um, so, so when you when you got everything set up, uh, were you nervous to start with? Uh, were you like, you know, am I going to get it filled? Is it going? Are people going to sign up for this, or, or were you kind of pretty shocked when you put it out onto the platforms and, and it did remarkably well? It didn't do remarkably well. Okay, it did not do remarkably well. I was, I wasn't nervous because I had a management agent, so I knew, I had someone who was going to do everything for me whilst I learn it. Right. Um, but it didn't do well at all. First month broke even, barely, just on the skin of our teeth. Um, second month, I was sleepless nights and I was panicking, thinking, how the hell am I even going to pay for the rent, let alone anything else? Like, I haven't even got enough money to pay for anything else. So wow. I put another £1,500 into it to keep me afloat because I thought there's no way in hell that I'm going to give up after month two. Uh, that ain't going to happen. And I remember it was about three or four nights of literally just not sleeping at all um, or very, very little sleep, shall I say, because I was panicking thinking I can't go into month three because I, I haven't got no more money. If I go into month three and I don't make any money in month two, I can't go into month three not knowing that where I'm going to go from. So I literally just made that decision. I think it was about 
half four in the morning when I was still awake and I was pondering over different things and I had my laptop open. I was like, right, looking through all my costs and I was saying, what's my biggest expense? My biggest expense is cleaning. So how can I keep my cost down on my cleaning? Um, and I sacked my cleaner. <laughs> Literally just said, I texted her half was, look, I appreciate everything you're doing, but right now I can't afford to pay you. So I'm going to have to cut you. I'm going to have to cut you out. And I started cleaning all the apartments myself. Wow. Whilst doing a full-time job as well, just to let you know that it can be done. <laughs> yeah. So you could have very easily have given up in month two and thought, you know what, sod this, I'll give these back. This doesn't really work for me. But oh, yeah. you took a totally different approach and actually pumped more money in it, reassessed everything and, and, and tried to really make it work. So what was the impact of giving up the cleaner? Impact? Oh, that was probably the best decision I've ever made in my life. Uh, well, okay, it's not the best decision, but in terms of the business, it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. It gave me so much more insight on how long it takes to clean an apartment, how long, how much my cleaner is actually going to be charging me. Um, because I was getting bills for my cleaner for like 60, 70, 80 quid. And I was thinking, wow, that's like three, four hours worth of cleaning. I was cleaning, and I'm not a professional cleaner. Um, I mean, I barely even know how to clean my bedroom, let alone clean, um, um, you know, anything like that. But I did it and it saved me so much more money. So then when I got to the point when I thought, okay, you know what? I know I now understand it now. So I then started to introduce the cleaner and I said, to, I, made, I told them how much I'm going to pay them because they said, oh, this is how much we charge. I said, no, that's not how much you charge because I know how long it takes to clean the apartment because I've been doing it for three months. So don't tell me it's going to take you two hours because it only took me two hours and I'm not a professional. And then he realized, and that's when we've just, we've come together and we've, we've, we're, we're absolutely like, we're match made in heaven, basically. Like he understands me. He's my eyes and ears um, in, on the essay. So he's literally out there doing everything that I need him to do. He keeps on top of everything. Mm-hmm. So do you think it's important for, for people going into SA to actually go and physically experience every single corner of the SA industry, like go and, you know, fit, work out what it's like to dress an apartment, you know, to book a guest in, to do the whole cleaning, to do the whole turnaround. Do you think it's important for someone running an SA business to go through that process? Yeah, not even an SA business in any business. I think it's key for any business owner to understand every aspect of not, he doesn't have to understand everything to the nth degree, but he needs to have a part in every part of his business. Whether he has experienced people underneath him that does all the day-to-day stuff, he needs to know about that because if there's ever a problem, um, he knows how to fix it or he may have a solution to that problem. Now, if you just go in and depending on the game, it all depends on the market that you're in as well. But if you just go in and you don't want to experience anything yourself, you might know you won't know how much how long it takes to clean an apartment. So you don't know how much how whether paying a cleaner uh, so paying a cleaner thirty pounds or sixty pounds is the right amount of money. Because some cleaner might just turn around and say, "Yeah, it costs us sixty pounds to clean it. We take we take three hours to clean it." If you didn't know how long it takes to clean an apartment, then you're just going to assume that that's okay. You have six or seven, well, say 15 changes of £60 a clean, and you're only charging your guests £45 for cleaning, you're paying, you, you know what I mean? Your, 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 your profit's coming down because you're paying your cleaner way too much money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense. So you actually, you went away and you realised what the metrics were for cleaning, and then that way you were able to work with a cleaner and say, look, you know, I know it takes two hours to clean this, so it should be taking you 
90 minutes if it's taken me 120 minutes um and you yeah no no that's a that's a good shout i but what i mean how do you feel about it when people say oh you know what you should be working on your business and not in your business would somebody class that as working in your business if you're actually there cleaning the apartment absolutely it's working in your business but any any business owner knows that when you start a brand new business and you're learning everything you can't work on your business how are you gonna you can't work on a business if you don't know the business so you have to learn the business to then start working on the business not working in the business people's people get um, duped into this very very quickly because of course of all the um, the the information that's out there like all these gurus and everything that tell you how easy it is and it's not like that. You have to work. I believe that you have to work in a business to understand it from, from, you know, from zero to a hundred. And then you can start leveraging your time, getting other people to do the things that you don't really need to be doing, like talking to guests, communicating with the cleaner. So then you're then, then actually able to work on the business and mm-hmm. cash flow is massively important. Um, if I knew all this, if I knew all the stuff, that I know now, when I first started, I'd be in a much better position. I'd probably be about 30, 40 apartments by now, if I knew what I know now back then. Um, and one of the things that I will say to any newbie or any new person who's thinking of going into SA is don't assume that you're going to make profit on your first month. Don't assume that you're going to make profit on your second month. I would you'd probably take about two or three months before you start making a little bit of profit um, unless you're in an absolutely amazing location where, you know, it's full of tourism or you've just got lucky. But they're, 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 those are possibilities as well. As well, But in a city centre where it's very, very saturated, it's very hard to get your listing to pop up at the top. Um, so you, you don't want to assume that you're just going to make profit from month one. You want to... I always say to people, if you're going to go into SA or anything that's rent to rent, make sure that you've got at least enough money in your bank account to support you for two months worth of expenses. Expenses being rent, bills, electric, and that's it. Because they're, they're the three things that you're going to obviously have, and counter tax, sorry. Um, those are the few things that you're going to have to pay for. So let's just assume that all those costs come to 1500 quid uh, a month. Um, then you need at least £3,000 in your bank account before you've even got your apartment listed. So you pay a saucer, which is going to cost you three grand. Your furniture, whether you lease it, you're going to have to pay, obviously, a little admin fee on that. Um, then you need about three, two months' worth of um, cash flow to keep you afloat for the first two months because you don't want to be running on, a, on, on an empty balance because that's when you're going to have to keep forking money into it every time you um, every time you come up with a short month because SA isn't profitable every single month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's uh, that's good to know. Yeah, coming from the horse's mouth, really. There, you know, you've got a considerable number of apartments, and like you said, it's not always profitable. And I think uh, there's too many people out there. There's too many furus painting this whole picture of that. You know, it's it's such a glossy world, and you know, you're going to earn so much money from it. And I absolutely, it really gets my back up when I see people posting like, you know, a screenshot of 26 nights booked and they've made, you know, £10,000 or whatever. And it really gets people pumped up. And I think that's wrong because that doesn't happen every day. You know, you might get lucky with a contractor who's over for a few, for a month and he needs a place to live. And he's just happened to click on your one. And I think it's, uh, it's annoying. It's annoying in the sense that it's a false hope, almost a bit like the, the FX traders, what they do. 
I can see a little bit of that happening where people are putting out so much false information and and getting people to to think that it's a glossy world and you know that go and ring a hundred agents, you'll get an apartment, you'll put it on Airbnb or Bookings.com, you'll make loads of money and you know you'll be a property millionaire. It's uh, there's a lot of uh, sugar. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, there's there's every I think every industry when it's when it's um, affiliated with um, uh, what's called by money um or the returns of something so whether it's forex trading or whether it's um sa or properties or hmos <clears throat> people paint such a glossy photo that it makes you think okay well all i gotta do is exactly what you just said get an apartment stick it on airbnb and all of a sudden i'm making a thousand pounds a month it, it never works that way because the first thing is you gotta take it if, if you if you stop for a second and then you know rewind back a little bit put yourself into that consumer's point of view that's a brand spanking new apartment on Airbnb. Yes, the photos look great, but it's got no reviews. It's only just been listed. As an individual, would you feel would you feel confident enough to book it, or would you think mm, maybe I'll just give that a miss for now because this one over here is the same price, but he's got quite a good he's got a few reviews. I, I, I mean, per- yeah, personally, if it was me, yeah, I, I wouldn't go with the one that's got a review, and I think it's like some of the hosts as well. Yeah. It's like a host. He wouldn't go with someone who wants to stay there if he had zero reviews. I think it's a two-way thing. I mean, I've had it before where, you know, I had a new account and I only had like two reviews and I wanted to stay in this really nice apartment. And the guys took the book in and they rejected it. And when I asked them why it's been rejected, it was like, because you don't have enough reviews. You don't have five reviews or more. And we're not letting you into our space. And, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a two-way thing. But you're right. If something's, you do it online when you shop, you look at the reviews. If there's zero reviews, you think, you know what? I'm not buying that. Let me move on to the next product. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's, it, that's the mindset of how, people's, um, how people are. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. Um, but people's mindset is, is like, okay, let's, let's look at what other people have thought about this product. Uh, let's look at the reviews. Let's look at me personally. I don't. When I, when it comes to buying products, I rarely even look at the reviews because I I see reviews as such a biased opinion. I'd rather just buy it, make my own decision on it, and then if it's crap, it's, if it's crap, it's crap. I throw it away. If it's good, great. Because you never know. Because so the, 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 again, the thing with the reviews is is that some people leave, they they find the smallest little thing and they make it such a massive thing that it's never actually anything like that. So you've got to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt. Um, but those are the key things, especially when it's a brand new apartment, is is that your property takes time to start ranking up Airbnb and Booking.com. So you need about five reviews on um, both platforms for it to start to rank up. Mm-hmm. When you're under five, that's where you find it really difficult. The minute that you get over five, Booking.com and Airbnb push your listing further, which means that you're usually at the top. And that's when you can start getting a frequent amount of um, bookers um, starting to book but then at the same token you've got to make sure that your hospitality is on point because if you're a bad host they're going to leave you a bad review the more bad reviews you get ain't nobody going to want to book you yeah no totally no totally i agree some good insight in there tally talk to me about uh covid i know it's affected the um the hotel industry the tourism industry and I know when COVID was announced, I know a lot of the SA people were a little bit shaky. I spoke to a few people. They were readapting themselves. Tell me what you did. Someone who owns 16 apartments, it must have been a bit of a scary time for you. And how did you adapt to see yourself through that? Um, so the first thing is, is I, I didn't have 16 at the start of COVID. I only had okay. 
I only had 10 at the start of COVID. So that's, that's, that's the first most important thing. I mean, 10, 10 is still a fair number, Tally. <laughs> um, but it just goes to show that I was not scared of COVID. I was scared of COVID at first, but I was not scared of COVID after, once I started to understand it. And that's where I grew from 10 to 16 within the last couple of weeks. So I've literally just had another, well, I've had six apartments now. I think, well, sorry, five or six. I think I'm working on the sixth one now um, in the space of the last few weeks. Um, but going back to your question, COVID, um, COVID for me was an eye opener. It really, it did shake, it shook everyone up massively. Um, it was almost as if the best way to describe it is, you know, like when you got a tap and you got the tap on and you just turn it off. Yeah. That's literally what it was. It was just, someone's just come around and just turn this tap off and you just like, whoa, what the hell? Because... The minute that Airbnb and Booking.com got shut down, which is effectively someone closing the tap, you're screwed. Your whole business has failed. I was a little bit smarter because I already had my website and I had my website running from the year before. So from like September, October, that's when my website was running. And I had Google and I've had Silverdoor and I've got all these other avenues that other people wouldn't do um, that I did already. So when it came to Airbnb and Booking.com getting shut off, I wasn't that worried because I had my website and I was still getting a lot of direct clients through there. Um, first month of COVID, I was okay because I had a contractor came through me from Silverdoor. Um, and it, for anyone who doesn't know what Silverdoor is, it's a, it's a big corporate um, portal um, and they, they're, quite, they're quite national. But with Silverdoor, you've got to have five or more apartments in one block before they deem you as... Um, uh, serious if that makes sense uh, if you've got five apartments dotted around the city they won't take you they want one block with five or more and then you can add in whatever you want after that so it took me about 12 months to get that they gave me a booking at the start of covid just before covid actually before we went into the official lockdown and it was two of my apartments and it was five grand um, for two apartments for the month they cancelled after three days and they wanted wow. them to be back I obviously said to them, sorry, we're not doing any refunds, but I'll give you a credit. So I now owe them 23 nights, but they paid me. So obviously I've got the five grand in my bank account, which has kept me afloat more than enough. And then it was just a case of, right, okay, so how do I survive now for the next few months? Um, and the way that I survived was basically not thinking of profit. Um, and I know that sounds a bit strange in in you know in the in this type of a market that you're in because you're always it's always profit driven profit driven profit driven. I knew that with leisure being closed, um, we're in a national lockdown, so it means our contractors aren't allowed to go to work. People aren't allowed to go to work. The only people that you the only people who can go to work are key workers and NHS staff. Now NHS staff and key workers are just normal people like you and me. They've got mortgages, they've got families, they've got bills to pay. They can't afford two and a half thousand pounds for a serviced accommodation, um, but they need their own personal space because let's face it, they're protecting us and they're the ones that's actually making this whole virus you know, calm down a little bit and get to the point where it's all obviously ending. So I literally just looked at my costs and I said, right, okay, what's my absolute bare minimum cost? Um, it's this much. I put that out there and I said it and I bit like when you go fishing and you put a bait into the water and you just see if anything bites no one was really biting i then said to my landlords um again i didn't do this as a cheeky aspect i literally just sent them an email and i said to them right i'm not paying you for the next three months now 
even though I know that I have to pay them, I just basically said, I'm not paying you for the next three months because we hit COVID, everything's in a lockdown, business is closed. And they're like, okay. Um, I waited about two or three weeks for them to respond back. The minute that they responded back and I said, Tal, we can't not afford you to pay us, but will you do at least 50%? And I'm like, yep, that's fine. I can do 50%. Soon as I've got that go ahead to say that I can do 50%, it means that my costs now are reduced meaning that I can now get an NHS staff, uh, NHS lady or a key worker in my apartment for eight, nine hundred pounds a month. I've got no linen to worry about because they're cleaning the apartments themselves. Um, I've got no cleaning costs to worry about because they're just they're cleaning it themselves. Little things like council tax, I don't worry about because I'm on business rates. So I never have to worry about in the, that uh, in the first place anyway. Um, Electric bills, I do that every quarter. So I already paid the electric bill for the last quarter. So it meant that for COVID, I didn't have to pay an electric bill for three months and I'll just pay at the end of COVID. So that's how Mm -hmm. I did it. And that's how I was able to get literally every apartment filled up for the last three months. Um, And it's been the same person staying in there. So I know that they're good. And I've met them all. They're fine. We have regular conversations with each other. I've had one guy who stayed with me since COVID um, or since bef- before COVID and he's the one that's paying me the massive amount of money each um, each week. So he's paying me about five, £520 a week, but he's still cleaning everything himself. So I'm still making a massive amount of margin on that because he's using the same linen and he's happy with it and he's, using, and he's cleaning everything himself because he understands the situation. He understands it all. Mm. Wow, what a way to adapt yourself, eh? I mean, use a crisis and kind of almost make it work to your advantage in the sense that you haven't made it work to your advantage where you're making money out of it, but you're covering your costs. So it's helped you, but at the same time, you've helped somebody else. Remarkable, yeah. mate. Really, really good stuff there. That was the that was a key thing for me. It's like I, I look back and I thought to myself, look, how far I've come it's only nice to always give back. And I always feel, I always feel that, you know, if you just give back out the kindness of your heart and you don't expect anything in return, goodness always comes back to you in tenfolds. So I was then at a position where I thought to myself, well, I've got X amount of apartments in Birmingham. Um, I can help these people who are actually helping us by accommodating them. If I, I said to this, I said this to someone, if I was a multimillionaire, I would give it to them for free, but I'm not a multimillionaire. I've still got a business and I've still got to think about those. So I couldn't give it for free, but the best thing I could do is, is give it to you for less than what, basically look at, either at my cost or less than what my costs are. Um, that's how I adapted. No, that's good of you, man. I mean, I um, on the basis of the NHS, I read something um, about, uh, you know, Bobby Singh doing something similar as well. Yeah. Um, and, and I wanted to touch on Bobby Singh because he's been in the news recently in the sense that, uh, you know, he uh, he called an NHS worker something or, uh, you know, you or something. yeah, I, <laughs> I don't really want to repeat it. But, you know, the article went viral and, you know, it got him some news press and he was quite annoyed about it. Uh, you know, what what's your what's your thoughts on what he said, man? Because you're so you're so close on what you two do. I thought, let me ask you, what, what do you feel about his situation? Bobby Singh, um, I don't know the guy personally. I've never met him. I don't really know of him. Um, I just saw him floating around doing this NHS for free apartments. 
uh, is a big Facebook group that they had. And I was a bit dubious about going on there. And I thought, I'm not going on there because one, I can't afford to give my apartments for free. And I know that there's a hidden agenda here. In my head, this is how I thought of it. I thought what's going to happen is, is he's going to reach out to his clients and say, oh, we've got this apartment, which is free. Uh, so no, he, we've got this apartment, which is three, four hundred pounds for the month. He's going to pocket the three, four hundred pounds. And I'm the, I'm the chump that's going to have to give my apartment for free because I signed up to his NHS websites for free. Um, I thought that that's how it was, but it turned out that it was nothing like that. So all I literally did is, is I joined the Facebook group um, and I did a post and I got all my apartments. And because, of course, it's Onyx and it's after gemstones, every single one of my apartments is named after a gemstone. So it's got a story okay. behind it. So I did all the posts and the way that I did my post, it had the, the property address. It had how far it was from each hospital. It was all broken down. It says, look, this is exactly how much I need for this apartment. I'm not trying to make any money. I'm just basically covering my costs. Um, if anybody's interested or if you know of anyone who might be interested, please let me know. And my phone went off the hook. It literally went off. It wow. got to the point where I filled all my apartments up and I, had, I still had people asking me for stuff. So what I ended up doing is, is I, talk, I spoke to my estate agent and I said to her, I, said, I, need, I need some apartments. Have you got anything? Is the land, would the landlord be okay with um, accepting X amount each month? Um, and she said, yeah, yeah, that's great. I gave one of, my, I gave one of her landlords um, a three-month booking now where I've made nothing from it, but he's able to cover his costs, his mortgage and his um, service charges. And he's got somebody, he's got an NHS person in his apartment. And he's absolutely living, he's loving life at the moment because he's get his, his costs are covered and I got that for him and I didn't get anything from it. I didn't want anything from it um, other than the fact that I know when I need that apartment, when I'm ready to take it, who do you think the first person they're going to give it to me is me? Mm. So as soon as I turn around and say to my estate agents, I want that apartment, she's just going to say, yeah, sure, sign the paperwork, there you go. That's another apartment in my, um, in my portfolio. Yeah, just by doing one good deed, you've got a kind of a, a longer term strategy with it. When you do need to grow your own portfolio, someone's going to reach back out to you. Yeah. Um, I saw, you know, obviously on the socials, I saw Bobby was getting a lot of hate for what, you know, for what he said. I mean, I can I can understand it from his point of view that, you know, he's given somebody an apartment and they hated on him and he wanted to react. And I suppose it's natural just to react. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm still torn about what I think about that. I mean, I know one thing. He's a he's a big agent in Birmingham. He does a lot of big things, and you know, whenever I go to Birmingham, I see his face wherever I am. You know, he's pretty. He's very very well branded. And for me personally, I thought it was a bit stupid of some of the smaller guys really having a dig at this guy because he could really squash you and finish you if he wanted oh, yeah, to. You know, he's a powerful yeah. agent. And there was a lot of people having digs at him. And some of the things, you know, I don't really want to name any names on the podcast, but, you know, there's a few people that are really gunning for me. And I think to myself, you know, you don't upset someone who's as big as that because you should really be thinking about working with someone like that, you know, collaborating with someone like that who's on a scale that's so, so, so massive. I mean, what's Uh, your thoughts on collaborating? Do you collaborate with people? Do you work with people? Do you have JV partners? I, I work with I work with anyone um, that I can get on with. I think for me, um, I look at what can you bring to the table. Now, what I mean by that is it doesn't even have to be money. You don't have to bring money to the table. You can just whatever what you bring to the table is is what I look at. So if you can, 
bring money or you can bring me knowledge or you can bring me something that I can use, then yeah, absolutely, we'll do a JV. I'm, I'm never going to be, I'm never shy of working together because I believe that when you work together as people, if, if you get a team of people working together, you can go a lot further, a lot quicker, as opposed to trying to do everything your, yourself, because it's almost impossible to do every single thing yourself. You need other people around you. Um, I know that because I, I, you know, I try to do everything myself um, and it just, it gets to the point where you burn out, you burn out very, very quickly. Um, so yeah, doing JVs with people is absolutely massive for me. I wouldn't be in a position where I am now without doing a JV. Because if you think about it, I'm managing other people's apartments as well. That's effectively doing a JV with them, except I haven't got that much of a risk. My, my biggest risk is my name. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, my name is everything to me because I'm this whole, I try to make it as if I'm a very transparent guy and I don't um, BS about anything. So I, if I'm going to do something, I want to absolutely give it my 100%. And then I will work out where I can you know, where I can change it and where I can go higher at the end of the day things don't always go to plan um, you can get an apartment and it won't work um, but I like to just make it very clear to my clients that I can't tell you if this is going to work I can just give you my insight give you my knowledge and say this is what I would do if the risk is up to you what you want to do if you want to go for it then go for it but working together with people is, is always the best way that I think is the best is the best way to um, uh, what's the word? Is the best way to grow is working together with people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I'm with you, mate. Uh, number empowers, and you know, teaming yeah. up and using people's strengths and using your strengths, you you get a long way. I'd rather have half of a really sweet cake than have a the whole of a cake that doesn't taste very nice. Uh, that's yeah. how I always compare it. Yeah. Uh, Tay, it brings us to the end of the podcast. I want to ask you one question, which niggles at me all the time. SA, now I know London have done it. They've brought in a 90-day rule. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel this 90-day rule might come in nationally? And do you think there's going to be some kind of um, something coming up in the future where they're really going to start taxing essays and watching people who are doing essays a little bit more and bring in some kind of regulation or some kind of body that watches over you guys? Um, honestly... It's hard to say because no one can do, ever predict the future. <clears throat> I think they will. I think they will put regulations on it. I think at the moment is because essay is such a grey area, uh, and what I mean by grey area is is that even though it's a business, you can technically get away with council tax, which means that it's almost impossible for them to tell find out if you're running that as an essay or whether you're running that as a residential household because you're just paying council tax. Now, I kind of shot myself in the foot because I've got business rates. So I automatically, I'm, I'm, I'm on their uh, the hit radar, if that makes sense. So if they do put regulations in, they're going to know that I'm running my apartments as um, uh, essays, which means I'm going to get hit very much with the, with the if they ever put regulations in. If I was running it on council tax, I think it would almost be impossible. It's the same thing that happened with HMOs when they put the licensing in. How many people were running a HMO illegally um, and it took them such a long time to get to that point where they, and even today, they still haven't got, every, got rid of everyone. There's still so many illegal um, HMO runners who haven't got licensing, who haven't got that, because it's almost impossible for the government uh, or the local councils to keep on track of everyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what's your thoughts on the 90-day rule? The 90-day, I don't know. Um, 
the 90 day because i don't really focus too much in london so i don't really worry about it if that makes it because it's got no concern to me it's like well that's london i'm, I'm never going to get an essay in london personally because it's too far for me to go i like you know i want to have something where if the, if something goes wrong i know that i'm there to go and fix it um mm-hmm. or i can you know repair it or you know i like to be hands-on to a, to a certain degree the 90 day rule I don't think they'll do that in Birmingham. I don't think they'll do that anywhere else in the country other than London. I think London is the only place that they're ever going to do it. And I think that that's where they're going to stay for it. Um, and that's my personal opinion on it. I mean, things might change. But again, even if they did bring that in, there's always ways around the 90-day rule. There's things that people get worried about the 90-day rule. But if, the, if if that was really a problem... Why is why is London one of the biggest places for service accommodation operators? Because people yeah, know yeah, true. People, people know what to do exactly. If you don't know, you don't know. So I know, well. I know. How to do it. So if 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 uh, if Birmingham do bring down the ninety day rule, then so be it. Bring it on. I'm ready for it because I know how to adapt for it. Yeah, yeah. No, nice, nice, mate, nice. So really worthwhile information there, Tally. If uh, people want to reach out to you, where can they find you, my man? Um, Facebook is probably the biggest place. Um, Instagram I do use, but I don't use it as often. I probably should. It's just another thing that I don't really, uh, I need to like use it. LinkedIn again is another thing that I need to start using, but I just get confused with all this social media nonsense. It's just like when I write something, I just want to stick it on Facebook and then that's it. Uh, but yeah, Facebook is probably my best one. Um, so it's just Tally Sanger on Facebook. Okay. No, good stuff. Tally, just lastly, uh, if you could go back in time, uh, what would you tell an 18-year-old Tally? Oh, uh, don't get into a fight. No. <laughs> <clears throat> what could I tell an 18-year-old? Um, hard work works. Nice. That's what, that's what I tell my 18-year-old self. Hard work works. Nice, nice. Right, Tally, that brings us to the end of our podcast, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on this morning. Yeah, I knew you were going to deliver some really cool information. And thank you for sharing your opinions on Essay, on the way it's going and how it is for you. And really just being so honest and sharing, you know, your experiences of having a massive loss, picking yourself back up and now being in a positive position where you're now heading towards, you know, fulfilling your goals. So I think that just highlights to anybody, you know, your situation can always change. You can always change as a person. And, you know, just because you're down today doesn't mean you're going to stay there forever. So once again, Tali, thank you very much for coming on to the J2Hub podcast. And, uh, you know, hopefully, no worries, mate. Hopefully we'll catch up soon. Yeah, definitely. All right, cool, man. Speak to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.